You're about to hear my conversation with Ben Langevin. We talk all about commodities. We talk about onshoring. We talk about supply chains, as well as climate and the impacts on commodities today and in the future. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be here with Benoit Gervais. Benoit leads the McKenzie Resource Team. Benoit, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for the invite. It's been a long time, Matthew. I look forward to the conversation today, and I've brought you in uh, to talk about your ex- area of expertise. Um, resources have certainly been uh, very price volatile. Uh, we've seen a lot of appreciation of oil and uh, supply uh, chain challenges with natural gas, et cetera. Uh, I thought I'd uh, bring you in to get your opinion on it. So maybe you can start by level setting and, and describe the, the current state of uh, your area of focus, which is resources as a, as a whole. As most people uh, know, uh, resources have not done well for the past 10 years. And most of the past 10 years has been spent in bear market territory, lagging most asset classes uh, after a terrific 2000 to 2010, roughly speaking. And uh, I I think that many have uh, thought that the world was going to retool without resources. And post-COVID, uh, we are facing a number of priorities as a society which have brought to the fore the need for more commodities. And I can name a few here, such as onshoring, uh, which started under Donald Trump, uh, was setting up all kinds of tariff um, against China, for instance, and many other countries. And then we had the uh, COVID, uh, which have pushed, I think, the supply chain in a very tough place, uh, which has reinforced the onshoring. Then we have climate change, which has been ongoing for the past several years now. And I think the world is retooling for this, whether we're thinking about electric car, but I think that we wrote the right paper on this. And it, it is more than just the electric car, it's many parts of our economy sure. has to get rid of emission. And for this, we are rebuilding our economy in many places. That's very resource intensive, whether it's power or EVs or some of the more simpler goods. Those are favoring uh, commodities. So to name a few here, we're at the center of a major macroeconomic storm uh, and those trends can last many, many years. And I think that we will all agree here that climate change will be dealt with for many years to come that will have implications. I think the onshoring movement and at the core, maybe there's a little bit of that external, the externality measurement, if you think of CO2 emissions and so on, that could go into onshoring as well. That will last for many years to come. And finally, I think income inequalities, that also goes into the onshoring team. And I think we will all agree there too, that there's been major disparities around, uh, particularly 
developed world. Great. Um, maybe I can come back to that central uh, piece that you that you've just talked about. I mean, when you when you describe uh, certainly climate, uh, maybe less the onshoring, but to me, intuitively, I would think, well, the climate change is going to decrease the price of oil because the demand for oil. Uh, must go down in order to meet these objectives for climate change. Uh, that's not what we're experiencing right now. Maybe you can help fill in the gap. Yeah, so I think there's many other commodities that come to people's mind when we're thinking about greening the economy. And probably oil, in our books at least, probably ranks uh, at the bottom. However, we have to come to realization that for 10 years, we've been telling those companies not to spend a penny more than needed. Uh, and things got even worse when oil plunged during the early innings of the uh, pandemic. So those companies came soon came to a realization that people wanted their money back, right? Whether it was the bank that wanted to be repaid, whether it was the shareholders that says, I think this business is finished, you have 10 years at best, give me my money back in the form of dividend. And the last thing I want is is growth, i.e. get paid tomorrow in the form of higher earnings. Uh, so it led to major underinvestment. And <laughs> the world today is recovering, mobility is recovering, um, air travel is recovering. Certainly nobody's taking a break from ordering at Amazon. Sure. All, so if you think of a world without energy, I can't think of one, I can think of a world where energy is cleaner but not in a world where we don't need energy. Uh, so it, given that we haven't executed yet on this transition, then we are at the intersection of higher demand and much lower supply. Hmm. So that does not make it a commodity for tomorrow perhaps, but it certainly makes it for a pretty interesting return offering giving that most of that money will be returned to shareholders. I think the companies are not giving up on that thesis that maybe oil demand will be lower tomorrow than it was in the past. So why not uh, give back dividends? Many will pay dividends in the double digits next year or buy back some shares. So I think that's a pretty uh, appealing offering. Interesting. So, um, and, and what's your view on how long this environment can last? I mean, um, is there pressure? Uh, it sounds like there's not currently pressure building to to reinvest for growth uh, and uh, and more drilling. Do you expect that to come, or do you expect uh, things like renewables uh, and other forms of uh, of energy to over to take up that capacity that's lost from the lack of reinvestment within oil? I think the world can probably keep on growing, and OPEC has this price in mind which is closer to 100 than $50. And we're reaching towards this higher end of their price deck. Hmm. And at that price, I think OPEC is willing to add more barrels to the system to limit the ascent for oil. Uh, I don't think it's in anybody's best interest to have oil above $100 and slow down the overall economy. We're still in recovery mode. Hmm. Uh, not every country has seen all their workers back to work. And we want to keep on growing. And let's remind ourselves that it was a pretty dire 
contacts during the pandemic for many of those OPEC producers. So whether it's Russia or Saudi Arabia or many of those other players, it's also in their best interest to limit the ascent. So I think we have more oil. Now the question is, can we uh, use this economic expansion here to start doing some spending on the greening of this economy while onshoring some of those jobs that used to be, um, I would say, at the end, a very long logistical chain, which is also a problem we're facing today as, as we're hitting some energy and uh, labor issues around the world. Well, and maybe, um, maybe that'll lead to a, a more expansive conversation. Maybe we can broaden it up from just oil and talk about other commodities. Uh, natural gas has certainly had uh, price pressure going up. You referenced some of the uh, greening of the economy that requires certain amounts of metals uh, and, and that type of thing. What are you seeing from the the other commodities? Do you expect um, you know the same sort of dynamic that's playing out in in uh, oil with a constrained supply and increasing demand? So I, I want to step back a little, uh, step back a little bit here, Matthew. In that, I think most people, when we're thinking of the greening of the economy, are then thinking of a world that goes from black to white. Um, where there isn't any emissions. And unfortunately today, I do not have a solution for you, uh, not too many solutions other than planting trees where we have negative hmm. emissions. So everything is a shade of gray. Everything is will have to be done better. And to, th to start at one end of the spectrum, the offenders, for instance, the oil producers or the cement makers. Right. Uh, we'll have to do with them for a little while longer. So the question is, can we do the same with less emissions? And I think that having a grid that's made of renewables is quite useful. However, a grid with just renewables is impossible. We have power when the sun shines. We have power when the wind blows. And the problem becomes when people come back from work. Uh, sun isn't shining and the wind most often has died down. Right. So what do you do? You need some base load. And we've been burning coal, in particular still in emerging markets, which is a third of global emissions, a third. Mm. All right. So if everybody switched to a combo of renewables and natural gas, we would have done quite a bit of the work that needs to be done uh, by 2030. Uh, uh, we said 40%, right? So if everybody cut by 12, uh, if we if world cut by 12 gigaton, Right. I think it's 14 gigaton out of the 36. We'd be pretty close, right? So uh, I think that most of their commodities are also offenders because they emit a lot. And that's the heavy end of the economy. Uh, but if we want to invest in infrastructure, because we want to green this economy and build transit, we will need more concrete and more steel. Right. So the question is, which steel? And that probably brings us to the onshoring theme in that in the past, a commodity was a commodity and they're all equal mm. and they're all the same price. And until we have pricing for carbon across all countries, then countries like China may be making steel or aluminum very, very differently than we do. So take aluminum. An aluminum smelter in China is mostly fired by coal and they'll emit 18 tons, maybe 20 tons per ton of aluminum. Uh, 
We do it here in Canada for five ton. Right. Yet they're priced the same. So if you're Coca-Cola and you're selling nice sparkling water from the glaciers of the Alps, then you'll probably want to say my aluminum is clean too. Sure. And I think the whole world is going back upstream from wherever they sit and trying to figure out how can I sell a better product in steel or aluminum or paper or lumber or cement has to be done better. And clearly in this space, uh, there isn't enough of that clean aluminum so that everybody around the world can ride a bike on clean aluminum. We don't have enough. Right. Only a portion of the total aluminum production is done cleanly. So the first thing that's going to happen is that we're going to price up aluminum, the clean one, and we're going to price lower the aluminum from China. So, but most of the commodity we're trading at cost. So it's inflationary. So the price for aluminum here in the first world where we want things cleaner to be a lot higher. That's uh, very intriguing. The idea of a commodity being distinct, distinguished um, by uh, production uh, is uh, very interesting. Your reference to inflation just as part of that last answer. It's been something that I've been thinking about as you've been talking about your comments with uh, supply uh, being somewhat constrained in some areas and demand going up, clearly very inflationary. Um, what's your view on uh, commodity investment uh, and how it protects against inflation? Is it a good hedge? Uh, and how do you think about that when you're managing these portfolios? So inflation is likely to endure in our mind and that the period of deflation that we saw in the previous 10 years is largely favored growth. Onshoring is pro-inflation, for instance. Infrastructure is pro-inflation. Dealing with income inequalities that have endured for 20 years now because we've been offshoring jobs, right? Blue-collar jobs, sure. um, dislocating a part of our economy and our people uh, went elsewhere in the world. And now we figured out that we want those jobs back and we can't find the people. Uh, we can't find people to man a restaurant at $15 an hour. Right. That tells you a story. Uh, we can't find people to fix bikes. That tells you a story. Probably because we weren't paying enough and you couldn't make a living out of this. So this uh, is slowly feeding through the economy. And the the wages tend to be very sticky over time. Mm. And the first thing that happens is that we force it. We force the issue. Other forces, for instance, insuring here, are forcing the issue and pressuring wages higher. Uh, those will stick for a while. Sure. Now, the question is, as an investor, are you protected for this kind of environment? Because most portfolio, we have to remind ourselves, are built on backtesting the history. So when the history of growth has been so good for so long. Right. You can imagine how uh, the model is biased. Same thing with fixed income. When interest rates come down, then obviously all of your fixed income or fixed income-like investments look better. So I think this 60-40, which I think most people are operating under as a basic assumption, is probably unlikely to be the best portfolio going forward. Mm -hmm nor is having an all-growth 
or an all lowball portfolio, which has been big overweight approaches to investing. So if you have rising inflation, you have usually rising interest rates, or at least the perception of interest rates being higher, that's good enough to move this. Sure. And earnings in the future tend to be discounted faster, right? Uh, and that favors earnings today versus earnings tomorrow. So all of the sectors, such as banks, lowly rated sectors, energy would be another one, material sector was trading at very, very, very low levels. All of those sectors are also seeing some tailwinds. Obviously, gold tends to be quite metered in that when the real interest rates are negative, i.e. the interest rates, uh, say the 10-year minus the five-year forward inflation expectations, for instance, are negative, gold does tremendously well. Hmm. However, I would warn people that this is a replacement for something. Better companies is probably where you want to be. Uh, if you have too much of those good companies and you need an alternative for your fixed income portfolio, then maybe you turn over to gold. But what I would suspect is that people would probably own too little gold today, too much fixed income and too much growth. Interesting. Um, one maybe final question for you. Uh, as you're sort of talking about this transition uh, about greening the economy, you're talking about the dynamics of, uh, of uh, commodity-based uh, firms. I'm curious, the traditional levers of what we'd expect to um, have commodities do well, so things like economic growth uh, and the, the more consumption of these things, are they the same uh, characteristics that you're looking for going forward? Or is there something else that you're looking to analyze? I mean, the I guess what strikes me is this idea that the commodity is not just a commodity, so you need to choose firms that are able to maybe uh, have additional pricing, or, or or how does that enter your model? And, and would you expect the traditional sources of uh, what made commodities to do well to remain the same going forward? Uh, so we clearly have a new factor. Right. So the first thing we went through, I think, three, four five years ago, we started writing about this uh, greening of the economy or sustainable investment. And we call this sustainable free cash flow because we wanted to factor in the impact of, for one thing, emissions, but a lot of other things. There are social issues and mining hmm. uh, governance issues, you can imagine, sure. and many other environmental issues. And we said, well, let's benchmark and let's find the companies that look best within their subsectors. Two, let's buy those who are improving the most, right? So you have leaders versus improvers. And let's see how the competitive landscape changes. Because if now we have a steeper curve in a commodity environment, so we go back to this aluminum uh, topic, then it used to be a very flat cost curve. Sure. They all produce the same. They're all in around 90, or 90 cents or a dollar per pound. And it traded there. Mm -hmm. Now, if you say, well, there's some good aluminum, some bad aluminum, let's price in this CO2, $50 a ton is what most price people are using today. And you do this difference, which we said 18 versus five, right? Then that's 13 tons difference. Then you add $650 a ton per ton of aluminum, right? Right. Uh, so that's 30 or 40% more than a cash cost. Sure. 
Now you have, okay, now, now the new price is $1.30, $1.40. What does that do to the aluminum industry? Obviously, if you're low on the cost curve, you're feeling great because it's $1.40, but perhaps it brings in substitution. Is aluminum as appealing as it used to be? Perhaps now drinking out of a uh, paper container is more interesting. Now we bring in the container board industry as a, an area for discussion. So when you start factoring in all of those externalities, the companies look different and the competitive landscape looks very different. So you can use that rule for just about every commodity and the impact can be very meaningful. Steel, there's recycled steel and there's blast furnace steel, which is what China does. You can imagine that the uh, emissions are just terrible sure. in some of those places. Uh, yet it's trading for all the same price. Well, not anymore now that we have tariff on Chinese steel, which was not a very um, popular concept when Trump, Trump started this. But maybe for the he was right for the wrong reasons. It doesn't matter. But I think those tariffs are likely staying. That's fascinating. So so uh, different factors to to consider. Um, it makes sense why you'd want to defer to an active manager like you and your team when we're looking to invest in that space, particularly given the uh, fragmenting call it of uh, of the commodities and and what has uh, happened in the past. Uh, so we're very fortunate to have you, Benoit. I really appreciated this conversation. Very insightful. Thank you very much. Thank you, Matthew. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.